everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Comic Source. I'm your host, Jace. This is another creator-owned spotlight. We're going to be talking about a current Zoop campaign, and it's from creator Nick Patera. Nick, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it so much. Yeah, I first discovered your work on Manhattan Projects, which was this completely weird, sort of out there, uh, but really compelling story that you did uh, over at Image with uh, a writer some people may have heard of, this sort of known writer named Jonathan Hickman. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think that's probably what you're most well known for. What are some of the other, uh, projects that you've done in the past that people may have seen? Uh, definitely the Manhattan Project is the biggest one on that one. We made, uh, the New York Times bestsellers list and we got nominated for an Eisner for it. Uh, I did a little work at Marvel with Hickman, uh, on a book called Astonishing Tales. We did a mini series called Red Wing together. Um, me and John Lehman, uh, did Leviathan, which we're going to be finishing this summer together. Um, and then I've done a lot of cover work for IDW and uh, a couple of things here and there, an issue of Flex Mentallo on Doom Patrol with Gerard Way and Jeremy Lambert. Um, but, but for the most, of, for the most part, I think readers will always know me, at least know me now as the artist and co-creator of the Manhattan Project. So, yeah. Yeah, now with uh, this campaign on Zoop, Axe Wilder John, you're not only handling the, the art duties uh, and, and visual storytelling, but you're on the, the writing side, the scripting side as well. So uh, why don't you start off by uh, letting our listeners know what uh, Axe Wilder John is all about, and we'll sort of talk about inspiration and process and whatnot. Yeah, so Axe Wilder John is a, uh, my writer-artist debut. Um, the story's about this faceless barbarian and the legend that follows him is that he's cursed to fall in love with the heads of his many victims. So, uh, he's kind of mindless wandering around and collecting skulls. And, uh, I came up with the story, uh, when my first, we had our first daughter and she got really sick in the hospital and, uh, I had to stay with her in the NICU for a couple of months and, uh, live at the Ronald McDonald house. And, uh, while I was there, I started doodling this, uh, barbarian character, and uh, really wanted to, um, I don't know, there's something about the character design started uh, generating story ideas for him. And uh, it kind of just took off. And uh, he came to me at a time when I, when I really needed a hero. And I tried to honor uh, the idea that, I was, that was coming to me at the time by telling myself I was going to write and draw this no matter what. So um, I started doodling it out. Then I started planning it out. And uh, for the last year and a half now, I've been writing and drawing it and funding the book myself so I can bring it to market as complete as possible. And uh, I never, I haven't pitched any publishers. I just wanted to bring it directly to fans and Zoop was the perfect vehicle for that. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's a huge passion project for me and I've got five books of it planned. Eventually we'll, you know, we might go to a, a wider distribution, but right now I think bringing it to fans and making me, making it as honestly as I can, you know, uh, hiring the people I want to hire to, Eisner award-winning editor, Chris Stevens on it. And I always wanted to work with him. And uh, when he was available freelance, I, I reached out and he, he came along to help me with the script and get it tighter. Uh, my, my frequent collaborator, Mike Garland, and then a fantastic letter, Farron Delgado. Um, all, all guys I've been working with or wanted to work with. And, uh, uh, and then I, I read this book called Little Bird and I love the design work on it. So I reached out to the designer, Ben Dider. Uh, on that. And so I, I made my all-star team and just had my head down working for a year and a half. Yeah. You definitely, you definitely didn't pull any punches with the, the team you, you put together, kind of the best of the best who's who here. 
of uh, of creators. But uh, I want to go back to the, this idea of kind of your personal trauma, the challenges that you're going through with your with your family. Uh, is your daughter doing OK now? Yeah, she's doing good. I mean, a little bit of the detail is she had a like a blockage in her stomach and we brought her to the hospital. We couldn't figure out why she wasn't eating after like nine. I mean, she had, she was doing good, really good. And then after nine days, she had a blockage of some kind and we brought her in and her bowel stopped moving. And that ended up being like a, a, a rupture in her intestines. And then, it, you know, a whole, you know, lots of stuff, lots of kind of gruesome stuff, you know, right. multiple stomach surgeries, you know, colostomy bag, all that, but she's had reconstructive surgery since. And, uh, She's back together a hundred percent now, you know, minus a couple dietary things, but, uh, it was a tough time. You know, she was in critical condition and we had to, we had to wait around for her to heal up. And, uh, there's this, you know, there's a book called flex Mentalo by Grant Morrison and Frank quietly is one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, in that book, uh, quietly strolling in the first issue, a character flex Mentalo when he's a kid. And then by the end of the book, Flex Mentalo manifests himself and says, you know, be a real man. And kind of in that book, uh, there was this cool thing where, you know, like you created the, the hero he needed later in life. And so for me, as I was drawing and plus like, you know, medical bills were piling up. Uh, Leviathan was canceled by image because I couldn't work. So that was like all this pressure and all this stuff going on. So when I started drawing John, um, I knew he couldn't just be a big hero. He needed a softer side. Um, and I, I, I just tried to honor the fact that, you know, the, the creative gods were sending me these like, uh, cool things to sketch at the time. And then I was like, well, what is his story? And I quickly realized his story was just my story. It was like, John is like all the He-Man toys I wanted to play with at a more violent level. Um, obviously, you know, me becoming a new dad at the time leaks into the story, obviously there's just, uh, and then like, for me, I wanted to draw this the best I could. And, uh, when my, when my daughter was sick, people would come up and be like, the religious guys would be like, you give it over to God or, you know, materialist people would be like, just trust the doctors, but you're a man in there. And you're like, well, I want to fix it myself. And so <laughs> I, I thought with John, it would be cool if I had a guy with the same dilemma where, uh, he's going to fix the world his way, the way he's going to do it with what he's good at. And what if he was really good at wielding an ax? And that it kind of created a cool problem storytelling wise is how do you fix things when you only chop them up and break them? Right. And so uh, then for me, mimicking my own life, I was like, okay, well then I'm going to draw this book the best I can. So when I came back home and, you know, everything was getting better, I started planning this out. And I like one example of how to draw it better was, I took every panel in the book and I made it an 11 by 17 board. So every panel's on its own 11 by 17 page. So wow. people might say, people might say they draw better than me, but they don't draw bigger than me. Right. Because <laughs> uh, my pages are 33 inches high. Um, and I use the smallest microns. I went back to using microns so I can get like ultra detail and uh, just try to do the best I can. And the only way I can fix the stuff in my life is, you know, to provide for my family the best I can. So I said, if John sharpens his axes, Nick Patera is going to sharpen his, pencil and get to work and so i've just had my head down grinding on it and then now it's kind of manifest itself into this oversized graphic novel and uh we're about ready to bring it to market so yeah that's kind of the story that's that's amazing and uh obviously you're not gonna <clears throat> excuse me not gonna share with your daughter anytime soon because it is bloody and violent but man what a, what a, a testimony and a, and a story to tell her once she gets older and can you know appreciate like you know, this was inspired by, you know, the challenges that, that you've overcome. And, you know, I love uh, something that you said there about, 
you know, somebody who's trying to fix the world with an axe, obviously that's not always the best way to do things, but you also mentioned there is this softer side to John, right? So you, you know, people hear barbarian and I think immediately, uh, at least people of a certain generation, their mind immediately goes to Conan, the barbarian, very sort of unemotional, uh, except maybe anger or revenge, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but certainly not, not necessarily a softer side, but, you know, I got a chance to look at the preview uh, of the, of the PDF of what's there so far, obviously it's not finished, uh, but you're right about John. Like there is a softer side. There are things that he cares about as much as he is this dangerous barbarian. He's a very complex character, right? Yeah. Well, I kind of went in knowing that it couldn't be one note. If John was just a, if it was just blood splatter, it's probably what people expect in my art, you know, just blood splatter, just violence, just this super heavy character. It, it, if you think about like music theory, it's like I only have a drum beat. Mm-hmm. And then I knew I needed the softer element uh, with some aesthetics. And I don't want to spoil anything, but it's like uh, there's some surprises and turns that show a different light on John. And the way I scripted it was I wanted it to come off like a over the top Conan violent E-Man story. But then take the things people say about you, which everyone has these kind of stereotypes that are somewhat true but we're more than our stereotypes. So if you're watching him collect skulls from far away, you know, you, you he's crazy. He's missing his face. Uh, people start creating his legend and his legend kind of is how the book opens. But then as we get closer to him, you see him, you see the vector of uh, from his point of view. And it's, it's not the same as from everyone else's point of view. And you see that uh, you can, you can kill for a, you can be this violent killer if you have the right reasons. And one of the frame, I, the frame narrator kept coming to me with a, a little girl in the story and she's basically telling John's les- legend as it's been told. And, uh, in, as a storyteller, you know, we all lie as storytellers. So, uh, basically the frame narration says something along the lines of, I've, I have this big, pr- I have this problem with lying. Um, uh, not always big lies, but sometimes big lies, but this one's, but this one's different. This one's real. This story's real. And then she goes on to explain good reasons to lie. You can lie not to hurt someone's feelings and blah, blah, blah. And then when you get to John, you show him as a killer. And then there's this light where you'd be like, could there be good reasons to kill too, if there's good reasons to lie? And that's kind of the overarching sentence or two sentences that kind of tie this big thing together. And I knew I needed a bow to make the point across uh, with the uh, frame narrator. And that was like that sentiment had stuck with me for a while. Like I really knew that to make this a palpable story and not just a drumbeat, that I needed to uh, give good reasons for the over-the-top violence. But also for me as a fan of comics, I like the over-the-top violence. So it's in, right. I get my cake and eat it too, where I get to, I'm getting to draw all the stuff I've always wanted, all the stuff I've loved. And, uh, but I get to do it uh, as a more balanced piece than just, than just a violent barbarian story. And I, I'm excited for fans to read that, check it out. Yeah. I mean, your art always has so much detail and, uh it's always so visceral. Uh, so, and from what I've seen, this looks amazing. So I'm not necessarily surprised that you've blown up every panel because this looks like some of your most detailed work that you've ever done. And obviously having the inspiration uh, of your daughter and her challenges is probably pushing and driving you even more to, to do your best work. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And that's the, like Jack Kirby has that quote, uh, he was giving a, I think a speech in the seventies, I think the first San Diego comic-con, but he said, uh, all a man in life has is pressure. You know, you just got to make your stuff, you know, and 
uh, being a new dad and now a, da- uh, a father to two daughters now, because we've had a second little girl since back to back, which was a surprise, but it's been fun. Uh, it's like, I need to provide for them. I need my, to get my career uh, rolling. And I really want to, as a writer artist, uh, like I can't keep chasing my heroes. I obviously love Mobius and Quietly and Darrow. Mm-hmm. And I, I know Quietly and Darrow now a little bit, uh, which is cool. But like, uh, like Darrow went and made Shaolin Cowboy and he's made that his, uh, you know, his marquee um, franchise for himself. And he's, mm-hmm. I talked to him a little bit about that. And he was saying like, People offer me all the time, like, you need to do Spider-Man, you need to do Deadpool, and he can do that if he wants, but he's like, I'm making my thing, you know? And uh, I really, that really struck a chord with me, and I really want to make my thing. So when I plotted this out, like, I didn't plot it just the first book, it's plotted out all the way to the end, and that's, that would be five books, it would take a long time to get there, but um, the first uh, three books are very, very solid now, and then uh, there's some, you know, some swan, you know, swan song uh, stories that I'd like to tell with them as well to wrap it up. So I'm going to try to do this as much as I can. And with the help of Zoop being a distributor essentially and a customer service provider, which is things I couldn't do uh, with the Kickstarter, you know, I, I was, wouldn't, it wouldn't free me up to really do the work I want to do. Mm-hmm. And if I can make this successful and build a base, then I can continue to do this uh, and keep producing the book, especially with the help of Felix comic art who sells my original work um, between those two uh, avenues of income. I do think it's very possible to make this self-sustaining and be able to do this for the next, you know, four or five years. That's my plan. Well, I really think that all anybody has to do is, is, you know, read a couple of, of the pages, you know, maybe the first five, 10 pages of this book, see, see that it's the best work you've ever done, get pulled into the story. And I can't imagine somebody checking out, you know, the first part of it and, and not being sucked in and, and wanting to read it because uh, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's incredible. So uh, I think you, you have succeeded on that and hopefully, yeah, it resonates because you do have a somewhat of a, a following, you know, Manhattan projects was, a, was a big deal. Like you said, Eisner nominated. So uh, going directly to your community of fans, you know, hopefully people show up for this. There's been a huge uh, groundswell of other artists. Uh, they really like John's design and I've always been a big art collector and I've kind of supported the art community a little bit, just getting sketches. You know, I'll probably have a hundred sketches of Manhattan projects, characters, commissions, and I have a decent collection of original art. And uh, a couple of people started drawing Axe Wilder uh, on Instagram and on Twitter. And now we have like over 60 uh, pieces. They just kept drawing. I've got them from like, like the top, top guys. I got Chris Somney, um, Nick Darrington, uh, just so many great guys all the way down to like, you know, seven or eight year old kids are drawing them, uh, <laughs> like they're drawing their first book. So I'm going to, I'm going to publish them all. I can't give them all their own page, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to get them all in the book. So, uh, there's been this like kind of groundswell that's been cool to see. I, I, I don't know if it translates to sales or not, but there's definitely some interest in the book and I'm, uh, I'm excited about it. There's always like, I don't really have, um, trepidation about it being a good product, but, you know, like putting yourself out there and really finding out your worth uh, and if fans will come in to support you or not is uh, a kind of a terrifying thing, you know, uh, like you don't know exactly what your value is. But I do think the book is uh, the best I can make it. So I'm excited to bring it to market. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the design and you've mentioned, you know, this, this guy without a face a couple of times. It is such a, a like it smacks you in the face when you see it the first time he's like missing the middle part of his face doesn't have a nose kind of thing. Uh, it sounds like this was something that came to you early on when you uh, envisioned the character. So did, did that kind of scarring on his face, did that sort of inform who he was and uh, help like fill out the rest of the character design? 
Yeah, well, so he originally just had a big cut down his face. And I, I thought, like, that's so timid. And I thought, you know what? Um, I love the symbolism of the mustache being the most manly thing. And I wanted John to be the most manly man. But with the softer notes that play with John, his masculinity essentially broken, you know, especially down in the other books. He's not the superhero he thought he was. So I really like the idea of a scar breaking a, a mustache in half, the symbolism of masculinity being broken. And of course, like no one's going to get that except me, but it makes me laugh. But uh, I knew I wanted a distinct uh, design. And I knew that if I took a huge chunk of his face off and had him running around, and then I love the idea of like every character in the book, they aren't who they seem. So from the outside, like you see this face, you just this is going to be the most violent thing ever. This guy's running around without a face. But then if, if I can hit an emotional beat, if I can hit a softer note, maybe it plays stronger because you were deceived or something, you know, maybe because maybe the violence is only a mask to show the humanity or something, right? Like it's only an aesthetic. So um, I really like the idea of, and it's not just John's like, and I don't know if those notes hit, I hope those notes hit as a writer, but like other characters are their, their backstories will be, are, are seated in the first book, but then the, they keep, they keep turning on their head. I, I show you one thing about the character. That I really like, I really like that just in life. You know, we have these stereotypes where we judge people, but if you get to know them, they're different than what you would, prejudge them and i thought you what better way to prejudge someone if they've got a big giant scar on their face and they're wielding axes and they're called axe wielder um uh you know like uh and i i would I'm, I'm excited for the people who have seen his design to read the book because um i think he's got a little more humanity than just a than a, than a faceless killer uh of course he is that he is definitely that but he's other things as well just like we all are so i'm excited for people to check that out yeah, I mean, I got to be honest with you. When I first heard like, Axe Wilder John and knowing your art being so bloody, I'm like, okay, so this guy's going to be our protagonist, but he's not necessarily a good guy. Uh, and then I checked out the PDF and I was like, there's way more to him. So I think you, you like, if you were hoping to uh, establish this idea of, you know, don't judge a book by its cover, you na you nailed it because, uh, you know, like I said, I, I had this preconceived, okay, this, this, He's going to be the guy you root for, but he's going to be a bad guy. That's not necessarily the case, but he does come across as somebody you don't want to mess with. Yeah, and, and a huge inspiration. My favorite movie of all time is, I, I call the Sub-Barbarian Westerns because I love Westerns and uh, uh, Unforgiven is, is my favorite movie. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's Clint Eastwood oh, yeah. is kind of his swan song to uh, really his character that he played over the years, but also like to Westerns in general. But um, he isn't a good guy, you know, but he can be good. You know, he does avenge his friend Ned. He does um, these things that make him uh, re redeemed, you know, like uh, uh, the, the show is called Unforgiven. Like, you know, he can't be forgiven, but he does some cool things. You know, he tries to be sweet to the, the cut out prostitute. You know, he tries to be sweet. And you see this man who's lived a certain kind of life and then he's presented with a new situation. And maybe that was all training. Maybe all that was training for this one last ride, you know, and he can do something right. And maybe he's still unforgiven. Maybe he's not. But I, I really like that uh, redemption arc. Uh, and I don't know if I'm going to nail it with John or not. And hopefully I hopefully I can redeem all the violence that I've drawn for fun. But I that that was a, that's always been a powerful note storytelling wise. Like, can we can we redeem ourselves? Uh, can the worst killer of worst killers um, do that? And there's this moment with and it's later and it's not in the first volume, but. 
But when John's presented with whatever his the MacGuffin's going to be or whatever everyone's going to be coming after, um, he looks at it like the gods are choosing him for the first time. Like he's always been down and out, and uh, he's always been a piece of you know a piece of crap, you know, stealing and killing people. And they and he looked at this one thing that he finds as an opportunity. Uh, and it's like for him, it's going to be, I haven't got the writing down quite yet, but it's like Valhalla, you know, the gods from Valhalla saying, all right, all that was training for what you're about to do. Are you up for it? And, and he, and he, and he takes up that task. So, uh, and then he, then he feels like, uh, you know, he has a moment where he can feel like he can redeem himself basically. So that's kind of that. Yeah. You mentioned, um, before about when we were talking about the design. So, you know, this idea of, you know, the, the perfection of humanity with that awesome mustache, but then having it be broken. Uh, and so John kind of fell into place in terms of what his character design was. Did you then build off his aesthetic to establish the world? Did you kind of, okay, I'm going to put him away for a while because I know the tone of the story. Like, how did you go about, you know, designing the the world that John was going to inhabit? Was it, how much was it informed by your initial design of, of John himself? There's a, there's a huge part of it. Like my favorite toys as a kid were uh, uh, Masters of the Universe toys. And the interesting, if anyone doesn't know the history of Masters of the Universe, um, like they had, Mattel had that Conan the Barbarian license. And uh, once they watched the movie, they realized they couldn't make it because <laughs> it was too violent. But then Star Wars was hot. And so they decided to combine uh, some some space stuff, some tech stuff with over masculinity. So you got like this new genre, muscle tech and it, but it was very campy, you know? And I always wondered like for this project specifically, I was like, there's a few things that I had on a list and this is a little aside. Like I love Arthur Adams. He's one of my favorite top mm. three artists ever, but I was like, if he didn't do covers and he just did an evergreen story, like once every couple of years, he would have volumes of stuff out by this time, you know, and they would be amazing. Like, like early in his career when he was doing his uh, one shots or his uh, annuals, you know, uh, but he, he could be doing that. And I was like, why doesn't he do that? And then I thought like, why doesn't, uh, why didn't Mobius ever do like a violent, western uh like a barbarian story with all of his ability to draw and then there's other guys too that are like uh, I, like i want them to write and draw and then i i guess i got to a point especially with the way john came to me with my daughter's situation where i was like you know i'm listing things that i want why don't i just do those things why don't i just make the book i want um and, and assume that my ability has gotten good enough to draw. I've been good enough to work with Hickman and I've been good enough to work with at Marvel. I've worked a little bit on the Hulk, uh, worked on Flex Mentallo, all these muscular characters. Why can't I do it? And why not me? And I just said, there's no reason, there's nothing stopping me from doing it than myself. And uh, once I had made up my mind to do it, it was like gung ho, you know, I was ready to go. And uh, I've just had my head down working and, uh, you know, writing. It's been interesting, you know, because the idea comes as a cloud and it slowly solidifies as you're like, you're editing this line or you're working on this shot or you're, you're sitting down and drawing is almost secondary, you know, like that's the given, like, I know I can draw decently, but all the other stuff is where I'm a little more insecure, but learning that and having the editor, Chris Stevens help guide me has been amazing. And, uh, you know, I think my script came almost last, it was all plotted out. You know, I've got, you know, I've got boards and boards around my office of thumbnails of, 
where I plotted it out and scripted it out, but I'd not actually printed a text document that had everything in it. It's almost like I had to retrofit that when I brought the editor on because he wanted to read it. And I'm like, well, it's this and it's this. And it was really a collection of scenes that we needed to weave together. And uh, so like, that was a challenging part. Uh, but the, the designs come solely from stuff I'm into, like uh, all of that stuff. So you're going to get like big, obviously He-Man vibes, but you're going to get, uh, I love stuff that's kind of sentimental and storytelling. So you're going to need some sentimental stuff and you're going to get like a lot of visual surprises. Uh, you know, we went to me and the Felix comic art guys, Dana Warren Johnson, and James Heron and Nick Dragata. We all went to Japan and bought a bunch of manga like five years ago. And I think that kind of energy is speaking into all of our work now. Mine, mine, not as much as those guys, but definitely it has. So I'm just taking everything that I like and throwing it into one book and trying to tell a good story with it. So that's really my influence. So it's going to feel familiar, I think, to readers, but also hopefully be me. You know, that's the plan. Yeah. And that's what it should be. If this is a passion project, you know, your chance to, you know, draw everything that you that you love to draw. And it's it's your it's your aesthetic, you know, and in a way, John is is a lot of you, you know, there's a lot of you and, and what you're going through at the time that you came up with them. The other d- character design I specifically have to ask about, cause it's awesome. Uh, so we get uh, kind of the antagonist in the first issue, Lord Fang, and he's this green robed figure that just looked like, I, I feel when I first saw him, I felt like the first time I saw like Skeletor or dark side, like you immediately know, okay, this is a bad, this is an evil guy. So t- can you talk a little bit about your inspirations for, uh, for what Lord Fang's look is uh, in the book? Uh, there's a, well, Lord Fang has this like beautiful, like uh, there's all these twists that are plotted in and uh, there's a great twist with Lord Fang that I, I can't tell you. I have, no one knows it, but it's so good. Uh, it'll turn the whole story on its head, but I really, uh, yeah, I mean, Skeletor, death skulls, but I'm like, how can you bring it to the next little, how can you do the mega version of that? You know? And uh, yeah, I, I, uh, you know, he's like robe you say he's a robe it's not it's not a robe it's a giant meat suit of like pusty bubbles and <laughs> spikes you know and uh i have this beautiful cover i had a uh, das pastoras who's this spanish master painter he's worked with joe Rosti and worked on heavy metal and i reached out to the colorist jose villarubia when i was designing my characters and i was like man i gotta get my main three main characters for the first three volumes painted by this master i love his work and a uh, man he painted a painting of lord fang that is just unbelievable it's so unbelievable it's so good it's terrifying and uh you know like i always had this idea for a design and i'm so glad i didn't use it as a project i flaked on years ago but a, a guy with a skull for a face but um in the eyeballs you know there was a spider wedged in there the legs would work as eyelashes and the the ass of the spider where they have the hourglass you know the Black Widow, mm-hmm. if it moved it around, would be the irises. So, like, I really like getting his volume, you know, 30 foot tall, giant monster man. But then, like, if you zoom in, there's still more detail. There's still more gross stuff going on. Uh, and so, yeah, man, uh, he's like, I knew, I mean, Batman is Batman and Spider Man are the biggest characters because not of their, their virtue or their personality, it's a balanced system they're awesome because their rogues gallery is awesome. Like you're only as good as your big bad, you know, it's, it, you don't think he man without Skeletor, you don't think Batman without Joker and all this, uh, you know, and all the bad guys in Gotham, same thing with Spider-Man, you know, like uh, there, you can think of countless awesome characters. And I knew that no matter what I was playing with, with John and his design and what I was bringing to the table, 
he's only going to be as good as the character that he's going to face and either win or die against. And so when I drew him, I was like, I was trying to push myself to do something really unique. Unfortunately, it's so drawn so weird. I'll never get a toy of it. <laughs> I don't think anyone can, not even McFarlane, no one can manufacture a Lord Fang toy. It almost exists. And this story does too. Like the cool thing is, is I've had, you know, over the years, I've done a little TV show work uh, and I've had some connections and they've gone up to Netflix now and they reached out recently and they've been, they've asked to read an early copy of it and maybe want to play around with, you know, with me going back and forth in very early stages. But like, uh, I was like, I told them, I was like, guys, this is a project that can be adapted. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of unapologetically a comic book. Um, but, uh, and so like, I probably drew myself into a corner there, but I really just want to make the comic book I want to make and then let things fall the way they fall. So yeah, yeah Lord Fang is an absolute favorite of mine. Yeah, mine, mine too. And, and yeah, I mean, the story, everything you've built does seem perfectly, this is the, you know, one medium that it would work well in, but I, but I will admit, I mean, seeing a cartoon of it would be great. Uh, and, and I would, you brought up McFarland. that was going to be my next thing I was going to mention, you know, not to get too far ahead, but I know when a character design works for me a hundred percent, when I see it on the page and I, my next thought is after, Oh, that's fucking cool is, Oh man, how cool it'd be to have a statue or a, a toy of that. So if anybody could bring uh, Lord Fang to life, it would be Todd. Uh, and, the, and uh, man, having a, 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 an action figure of John too would be, would just be awesome. There's a, uh, there's these great, great barbarian uh, sculptors. They're called the Shefflet brothers and they live in Texas and they do like Frank Frazetta paintings, but sculpted in clay. And they're awesome. They're so awesome. And if I, uh, if I, if I get the money up, I'll get a bronze statue of Lord Fang by those guys, hopefully. But, uh, but yeah, we'll see. And I actually had aspirations early on. I actually wanted to reach out. I never did. I, I haven't, I haven't brought this to any publisher at all. So, but I was, I was half thinking like, man, I could take this to Todd and show it to him and he might like it. But, uh, and I, cause I've met Todd a couple of times, but I was like, no, I'm just going to make it and not be influenced by outside sources right now. So, uh, but yeah, Todd, Todd McFarland's a hero of mine, the, the Todd father, man. He's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, that brings me to my, to my next point. And you, you talked about it a little bit already, bringing this to Zoop, having them do it, having no middleman, you know, you're directly connecting with your fans and, and really sounds like you want to kind of build a, a community uh, around your art and around this property and, and this world. So too soon to say, because everybody in the interest of full disclosure, as uh, Nick and I are chatting, it hasn't gone live yet. It will go live uh, on the day this episode drops. Um, but I got to admire the fact that you, you know, you want this to be as pure as the idea in your head. I mean, you got to be hoping that a community does rise up around this uh, this project and and really get the momentum going for it. I hope that I think they will. Uh, I believe in the product. Uh, I'm not a marketing guy, you know, so that's always tough. But uh, I feel very secure with the with the guys at Zoop, Eric and Jordan, and uh, and with them having, you know. I mean, fans should know that the book is almost complete or getting very complete. By the time the campaign ends, it'll be complete. But also, like we're launching, so we're launching a, a, a almost complete graphic novel um, with the support of distribution, uh, a team behind me. You know, if you if I was to launch a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo, it's why I never have, and it's why I didn't want to do it with this. Uh, you would you would you would be off in the wind with dealing with printers, dealing with I'm getting a little action figure made, I'm getting all these little cool items done, and it's like. Uh, 
I having that support uh, with Zoop and also having distribution uh, and them taking on some of that burden has been a real blessing. So uh, to me, you know, it's a new, it's a newer platform. So if you're a new customer there, it's always hard to like deal with it, but it's, it's, it's got everything that a creator would want. And I think everything a customer would want because you have someone you can write, that's going to tell you the, the progress of the book. You're going to have someone that's going to be overseeing getting this book into your hands versus it all being on me when I'm drawing or doing interviews or whatever. So uh, having them in my corner has been uh, made all the difference in the world. And I hope fans can see it like that as well, uh, that they're going to, they're there to make sure that product gets in your hands on time. Yeah. I mean, they handle all the behind the scenes, all the logistics and free you up just to, to create or, or spend time with those two, two little girls as uh, you know, as a father myself, I know there's never, never enough time to do everything you want to do and spend time with your kids. So. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super thankful to those guys and I'm excited to be there. And uh, I think we're going to do a great job. Uh, they The cool thing about that platform too, if you're another creator that's interested in Zoop is uh, you can, they're very new and they, they, they want your business. They want to help you. So like for me, I work with Felix comic art. Usually those sales are done through Felix. Um, they're going to partner with Felix is going to partner with soup. So my original page sales can roll into the campaign where, where before, if I was on Kickstarter, I wouldn't be able to roll those totals in. And so there's like, like since they're, since you have direct access to the people at the very top of the company, um, they can make little adjustments or things that other other platforms can't. And so I've had some individual requests that were probably very unique and specific to my needs, but they've been willing to, uh, I mean, honestly, for me, they've, they've bent over backwards to make sure I've been uh, pleased and happy with, with, with the product uh, that they provide. And uh, I am, so I'm excited and I, I will constantly promote them and something else that, Something else I'm doing, and if anyone, if any professional creator is interested in going to Zoop, is uh, like I made this label called Karoshi Comics with my editor, Chris Stevens. And this way we could let the next guy come in. Uh, and I've got a couple other books planned with friends where if we build the same quality book as Axel or John, you could come in and just have the Karoshi Comics email list, uh, put it under that brand, use my editor. I don't want it. I don't want anything from you. I don't want it a percent. Only thing you got to do is you don't get to start from zero like we did. And so like, uh, like my editor's going to, uh, Chris Stevens has a book that's got Arthur Adams in it, Jay Lee in it, and a, just a ton of great artists, James Jeans in it. And he's been working on that for you know 10 years privately behind the scenes. And we're going to launch that one next. And he's not going to have to start from zero. So any base I can build for this is going to be a base for my books and hopefully a couple of other pro books if, if anyone wants it feel free to reach out. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to share. I always had this idea with like, there's a group of the, I keep mentioning Felix, my, my art rep, but there's about 40, 50 guys he reps that are really good. And I always thought if we worked as a team and not as individual artists, like imagine the platform we could build. Imagine like if, if Paul Pope went and, and created an email list and then he gave it to a lesser guy and then we had a James Dean come in and then we had uh, Ryan Otley come in and we just kept that base. Like we could, we have all the power the creators have the power if, if we could think and structure it that way. Now I, nobody wants to do that and nobody really wants to be the first guy to go first, but I'm, I'm willing to do it. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. So that's the plan. 
Yeah, and it's just it's building a, a track record uh, for this label, Kuroshi, that you know you can trust, and you, you kind of know what the quality of the, the book is going to be. And if you have, you know, if you're doing these projects through Zoop, again, you you know, you know, you're going to get them, right? You know, you're going to get a high quality product. You know, they're going to show up. As opposed to sometimes Kickstarters can be so overwhelming of creators trying to do everything themselves. You know, you can understand why they take years to you know reach fulfillment. If, and, and some never do. So, you know, again, you, you don't have to worry about that with Zoop. Yeah, uh, that's that's why I went with them. That was more of as much as I said about them. The fact that they just do the distribution and handle some of the printing and all that, that's really all I needed to hear uh, to know it was a good product. And, you know, uh, you know, I work with Hickman and I talked with Hickman about it before I jumped over and then he's using them as well to fulfill his uh, his Substack book that he's putting out. He's going to use them and... Uh, the fact that Hickman trusts him, I trust him, and I, there's a couple more people coming over that that are big names. Or I'm not putting myself in that, their category, but there's some some high quality pros that are coming over to use their services. And I think the more people, the more customers support it, the, the obviously the the more likelihood that it'll be a, a great success. And I do think it'll be a great success. So, you know, uh, obviously for your campaign, you can get the book. Uh, is it going to be hardcover? Is it going to be softcover? Give us an idea of, of uh, the logistics for the actual graphic novel. And then also some of the other uh, things that are available. Obviously, you mentioned there's going to be original art there as well. What are some of the other rewards? Um, well, we're, we're going to do the we're doing the book. Uh, like I mentioned Jeff Darrow earlier. And if you've checked out his new Shaolin Cowboy releases, they're all in these kind of nice 12 inch oversized hardcovers. <laughs> so I really wanted to do that. I just wanted to make this the way I want it, the way I like books. So mm-hmm. it's going to be in an oversized hardcover, 148 pages. Uh, I've got a little muscle man action figure that I made that I've sucked a ton of money into. That I've got to at least sell some of them on there. So we'll see. Hopefully that gets made. The guy's making them now. So we'll see how they come out. Um, the Das Pastoras hand-painted uh, covers that, that I've gotten for the series. I'm going to offer those as some Geely prints and, going to make some uh, Marvel Masterpiece cards for fans and maybe uh, have a couple of stretch gold tiers, stickers or whatever. Um, I'm working with, uh, there's a great artist named Seth Fisher who passed away. He did uh, Batman Snow and Green Lantern Will World and he, he passed away, but I've you know, kept in touch with his family on and off and uh, his brother's this uh, really great lithographer and he's going to do a really nice lithograph of an Axe John piece for me too. We're going to offer that. So we've got lots of stuff for fans. Obviously, we're going to do book plates and uh, remarks and sketches. And then we've got a, a really great for store owners. We've got uh, we're going to offer 50 percent off and I'm going to do free sketches and uh, remarks for them so they can move the product. So uh, we're going to offer everything we possibly can. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, uh, people will come out and support it. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I hope everybody shows up too. Uh, hearing the the origins of of the story and and the challenge with your daughter make, <laughs> makes me hope even more that this thing is a, a huge success beyond just wanting it to be awesome because it is awesome and it's your work and it's super detailed and it's you know the first big project you've done in, in quite a while. So uh, I'll take this chance to remind all the listeners, as I always do with these crowdfunded uh, campaigns, if this just doesn't sound like it's for you or if you'd love to have the book, but you just don't think you have the means right now to support it. Best thing you can do for Nick uh, and his collaborators other than join the campaign yourself is to share it on social media. Tell your friends about it. Tell your local comic shop about it. Uh, Let's spread the word and make sure everybody knows about this awesome new project from Nick. Uh, So 
anybody who wants to join the campaign gets a chance to. So uh, that being said, Nick, if uh, people want to follow you on social media or get updates about the campaign and whatnot, where's the best place online to find you? Uh, you can do Nick Patera on Twitter or Instagram. And there's a, I created a separate account, just Axwilder John on Twitter, where I've just been sharing the process for the last year and a half. I'll show pages, I'll show sketches and whatnot. Um, uh, and I, I bought the URL axwilderjohn.com or axwilder.com, both of those that link directly to the campaign page. So on uh, April 26th, we go live and uh, yeah, I hope people come out and support and, and inversely, if you do support it, also share that as well, like brag about that, because I think that will help too, because I think, uh, you know, if you, if you, if you support it and also become a little mini advertisement, I will love you forever, you know, obviously. So, um, uh, yeah, that's it, man. I, I really appreciate you taking your time out, um, for me to, you know, blab about the book and, uh, for you to help promote it means a lot. So thank you, man. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, I, again, I, you know, best, best of luck with the campaign. I'll definitely be shouting it from the rooftops and, uh, you know, making sure everybody hears about it. Um, and we'll, we'll talk after maybe we'll, I'll, we'll even do some, a uh, little ad on the, on the podcast. Uh, but yeah, putting your money where your mouth is, everybody here, here's the thing. I believe this is going to be huge. And you want to say that, Hey, yeah, I was in on that first campaign, man. I got my first print. I, you know, I was part of the community right from the start. Cause if this does blow up and I, I, have a good feeling about it. If it does eventually become a cartoon or a Todd McFarlane toy, you can say, Hey, I was there at the beginning. You know, I heard about it uh, on, on Twitter or my buddy told me about it or my comic shop was carrying it, whatever. It's just as, as comic nerds, we love that to be able to brag about, about that. Right. Uh, and, it, and again, once uh, this is done, once this campaign is done, there may not be any more of this exact version and you'll be able to say, Hey, I was in on the ground floor. So uh, as we're winding up here, Nick, anything uh, that you want to share with listeners? Um, I mean, that's pretty much it. I think we covered everything. I just thank everyone again for listening and uh, thank you all for the potential support. And uh, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I, I know you've I've seen your channel and I know you try to support all kinds of creators at all levels. And uh, it means a lot that you'd have me on and take your time out. So it's the hardest part of making the book. Making the book is easy compared to trying to self-promote. So <laughs> right. having someone that's decent at it and good at it. And uh, yeah, you didn't have to take your time out on a Saturday to do this for me. So I, I genuinely appreciate it. Uh, it's my it's my pleasure, man. And, and yeah, I mean, like you said, there's we're in a golden age of story. It's a good problem to have. You know, there's so many great comics out there. But then as a creator, the challenge is cutting through that noise make sure that people that want your book hear about it in the, in the first place. So uh, to all you listeners, uh, we appreciate you joining us as always. Don't forget, I'll put links to the campaign as well as the social media in the show notes. So you can go and check it out. Just, just take, you know, two minutes, go to zoop.gg or click on the link in the show notes and just go and look uh, at these beautiful pages. And it's hard when you see the X wheels are drawn and how crazy he looks and Nick's detailed art to not want to jump on. Uh, if you're a comic lover. So uh, again, Nick, thanks for uh, sharing your story with us. Can't wait to check out Axe Wilder John. Uh, it, having that art in my hands, having that book in my hands, I can't wait. Uh, so listeners, once more, uh, thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com. 
or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.